You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1115 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. Coming to you deep into the night on a Friday into Saturday. And today's podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's has always been more just a place to get tasty and affordable food. It's also an unofficial community center. A big thank you to our friends at McDonald's for always being there. I'm loving it. And today's podcast will break down another loss for the Hawks 105.96 in Denver on this Friday night. And this is the sixth consecutive loss for the Hawks. A brutal stretch by any description. They've lost eight of the last nine games. They're now one and eight on the road this season. A jarring figure in itself. And this is the first time the Hawks have lost six games or more since December 2019 when they lost 10 games in a row. And the needless to say, that was a very different group and different uh, mindset and focus and goals and all that stuff. So we'll get into all of what transpired here, but clearly not the best outcome for the Hawks and a winless road trip for Atlanta to the West Coast, even amid difficult circumstances. So the Hawks trailed by as many as 11 points in the first quarter of this game. They did fight back in the middle portion of the contest, taking the lead four different times. They were down three at the half, then had a rough start in the third, and then never led again, and were never really able to make a run in the fourth quarter, down by double digits for most of the way. So uh, we'll get into all of what transpired, as we always do, but thank you for listening to the podcast, and we'll dive in now with some pregame stuff, some context, etc. Denver is a dominant home team. They're one of the best home teams in the league, dating back for years now. Since Jokic basically got there, they've been a top three or four home team in the league. So it's tough to win there, no question. Um, with that said, the Nuggets were without Jamal Murray, who's still out to begin the season. And Michael Porter Jr. is also out, so that's their second and third best players. Jokic was fantastic in this game, and they were actually plus 19 when he played. So that kind of tells you the way he's playing as the rating MVP. But uh, Denver not at full strength, so not, not as if they didn't have uh, opportunities on paper to make this game competitive and potentially win it. On the Hawks' side, they were actually relatively healthy coming in. Uh, neither Hunter or Bodanovich did anything live in practice on Thursday, but ended up playing in this contest despite being listed as questionable coming in. Uh, worth noting that Hunter did leave the game in the fourth quarter, which we'll come back to later on. But the Hawks started this game with all of their core pieces healthy, other than a Kongu, of course, and the G League guys remained in Atlanta with College Park. Um, Bet online, our friends there made the Hawks an underdog in this game. As you might imagine, they were actually a four and a half point underdog early in the day with the injury uncertainty. Ended up being about three and a half at tip off, which the Hawks, of course, did not cover in this contest, but they were not supposed to win, quote unquote. With that said, obviously, they could have played better than they did in this game. So we'll dive in now to the first quarter and how all of that transpired. I thought the Hawks had a relatively encouraging start. Um, Denver actually put Aaron Gordon on Trey Young to start off the game. He did a decent job on Trey at times, but Trey had his way for the most part. Um, Capella actually scored eight of the first ten points for the Hawks on a night where he only had 14 points overall. So it was definitely a, a strong first quarter, then a little bit less from there. But he had a nice lob that he caught for a dunk, um, etc. Bogdanovich had a nice early move against Jokic as well. Uh, I thought Hunter took a couple of ill-advised shots in favorable matchups early on, like he had Monty Morris one-on-one and kind of settled for a pretty a pretty bad like fadeaway jump shot, and then defensively wasn't really much uh, happening there either. The Nuggets did take a lead early on uh, on a turnover and a run-out. Nate took a quick timeout. Um, out of a timeout, though, they actually got Gordon off of Young for one possession, and he had a three on that trip. The Hawks were shooting the ball great early on and still trailing because the Nuggets had it going offensively as well. 
I thought it was notable the Hawks actually stuck with the starters in full for like nine and a half minutes to open the first quarter, which is definitely longer than we have been seeing that. They've been kind of going with six or seven minutes, then they'll start bringing in some of the bench guys. It wasn't like they were dominating, they just kind of rode that group longer. I'm not sure if that's going to stick around, but I don't think that's happened all year where the entire starting lineup plays, you know, nine and a half minutes to open the game. Then they went to, after a timeout, they went to Herter, Reddish, and Gallinari all together. And then shortly after that, they played with a full bench unit for a couple minutes with Gorgie Jang and DeLon Wright in place of Lou Williams at back at point guard. Um, and then the Hawks actually trailed by seven at the end of the first quarter. They got down by 11, as I mentioned earlier, after a couple of bad turnovers by Cam Reddish. Um, and Hawks didn't take a free throw until there were 14 seconds left in the first quarter. But that was Reddish getting to the line, and then they uh, ended the quarter pretty well. But the Hawks still down by seven despite shooting 58%. In the first quarter, and from that point forward, they definitely shot the ball a lot worse. They were better than everything else because they had six turnovers in the first quarter, and they ended the game with eight turnovers. So that was one bright spot was the ball security after the opening period, but um, they didn't shoot a ton of threes, probably not enough threes in my in my mind in terms of attempts or makes. And the Nuggets were very good at getting the ball in the paint. They had 24 points in the paint in the first quarter. Could have been worse, though. The Nuggets did not shoot well from three in this game, and that kind of started out at the, very, at the beginning and kept going. But the Hawks were at least hanging around. In the second quarter, the Hawks, um, I thought this was their best stretch of the game, pretty obviously in terms of the, uh, the performance, but it was keyed by going to John Collins at the five with the bench. And that's a move that I've kind of called for, um, trying to get the Hawks to stagger a little bit with Collins and Young and also just kind of play through Collins. They didn't actually play through him a ton in that stretch, but it definitely worked. Will it always be this good? Absolutely not. But I did like that one adjustment that happened here that they kind of, um, I think, almost targeted that and really decided to use that alignment, kind of stagger a little bit more. I'd still probably stagger by Donovich and Young more, but at least they got Collins going with second unit in this game. Weirdly, the Nuggets got five fouls in the first 103 seconds of the second quarter. Uh, so less than two minutes, five fouls. The Hawks were in the bonus for 10 plus minutes. They didn't take full advantage of that. They, they did a little bit, but only took eight free throw attempts. Eight free throw attempts for a quarter actually is actually a lot. But when, when you're in the bonus for 10 minutes, you probably want more than that. So didn't take full advantage of it, but still worth noting. The Hawks did, the Hawks did though, have an 11-0 run dating back to the first quarter um, to go from down 11 to tied. In fact, part of that run was a nice catch-and-shoot three by Reddish to force a Denver timeout uh, in which Wright pushed the pace, Gallo made the extra pass, and Cam really shot it confidently, a nice catch-and-shoot form, good rhythm, and that's something you definitely want to see from him. And then Collins got through the defense to, uh, for a bucket to tie it. And then beyond the 11 straight points, the Hawks had a 17-2 extended run to go from down 11 to up 4, and that even included missed free throws by Collins. He actually was 0-2 in that stretch. It could have been even better. But the Nuggets were 1-14 of 14 from 3, that Collins plus bench unit worked out very well. And Denver just stopped scoring. You know, that's when Jokic came off the floor in the first half. And the Nuggets scored two points in about seven minutes, which is, uh, you know, horrible for a good offensive team. They were actually, at one point in the second quarter, one of 16 from the floor. Not from three, from the floor in the second quarter, uh, which allowed the Hawks to kind of uh, hang around. But they only had one field goal in about nine minutes. And that allowed the Hawks to, I guess, you know, overcome it. With that said, though, the Nuggets had that disastrous quarter of only scoring 17 points in the second, but the Hawks only took a couple, only took four points off the lead because Denver had a 9-1 to spurt late in the quarter. Uh, there was a timeout by McMillan after a turnover, another turnover, you know, kind of a lot of hapless play. I think, though, um, there are lots of things to attribute to this loss, but not blowing the Nuggets out in that quarter was probably one of them because the Nuggets just kind of had the quarter from hell and the Hawks couldn't take advantage. They won the quarter, but not by as much as you would want to uh, given what transpired there. 
Um, and at the half, the Hawks are down by three points. Now, there was a nice layup by Hunter on the last possession, but going into the break, the Hawks had a 90 offensive rating in the first half, which is clearly not going to be good enough to do much. They were probably lucky to only be down by three when you factor that in. Um, they only shot, uh, yeah, they actually shot 14 times at the rim and 11 times from three. Too many uh, non-paint twos. Trey did have 11 points, but actually had four bad turnovers, I thought, in the first half. Um, Collins was pretty decent in the second quarter. I thought he played well. Um, but the Nuggets only scored 11 points. Um, at one point in that quarter, uh, which is uh, pretty wild, and uh, only shot 25% from the entire period. They were 110 from three. Defensively, the Hawks were definitely better in that period, but uh, Denver also just kind of lost the plot without Jokic, and the Hawks continued to get very little from from Hunter Reddish and Kalinari, which we'll come back to. Also, also Herder was bad in this game too, so we'll get back to that in a second. But in general, it was a roller coaster first half. Um, to only be down by three was not the worst thing in the world, but again, you can kind of see it both sides, where the Hawks probably should have been winning, given how bad the Nuggets played in that quarter, and they were not at that point. Uh, before we get to the second half, and talk about all of what transpired there, as well as some takeaways and some uh, stuff from the entire road trip, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is McDonald's. This episode of the Locked on Hawks podcast is brought to you by McDonald's, and McDonald's has been proudly serving communities since 1965. McDonald's has always been more than a place to just get tasty and affordable food. It is much more than that, in fact. It's a place where friends and family can come and reconnect. It's a place where classmates can come, meet for a study group, knowing that they can depend on the Wi-Fi and the endless supplies of French fries and McFlurries. It's a place where teams and competitors and home teams and away teams rivals and anybody in between come to recharge and it's a place where you can look forward to stopping on a long road trip to rest your legs and refuel mcdonald's has been great for me for a very very long time i'm a fan of all kinds of things on the menu and a sneaky thing for a sports writer slash podcaster like myself is that the dependable wi-fi is a huge huge bonus i can sit there i can eat great food and also work at the same time and i'm always on the go so mcdonald's being all over the place and very convenient and very tasty is a home run for me with all that said, you can head to the local McDonald's right now to refuel and connect. And honestly, it might even be a great spot for a Locked on Hawks watch party. Check out McDonald's today. I'm loving it. Bet Online is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of the basketball season and much more in terms of props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online remains the number one spot for all the basketball football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's 50% on your first deposit with BetOnline.ag if you use the promo code LOCKEDON to receive that bonus. For basketball, football, baseball, postseason stuff, NHL, boxing, UFC, tennis, golf, favorite casino games, and much, much more, do not wait to take advantage of any of the amazing offers available to you this season because everything that you could want and much, much more is at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, we'll dive in now again to the second half of this contest. And uh, spoiler alert, it did not go very well for Atlanta. And honestly, a lot of the damage that was done after halftime was done in the opening minutes of the third quarter. And I did, they didn't lose the game because of that stretch, but it was definitely a huge consideration. The Hawks went empty on their first five trips, missing six shots in a row to open the third quarter. And the Nuggets scored seven points on their first three trips of, of the second half and then nine straight points overall to go from the Hawks being down by three to down by 12 within about three minutes. The Hawks didn't score in the third until about the 840 mark, so three-plus minutes without a point. And uh, there was a great pass from, from Trey Young to John Collins on that play to break the drought, but it was still a drought that really kind of bit them. They never led again, obviously, from that point forward. They did have a couple of nice stretches at times in the third quarter. It was a six-point um, back-to-back trips in terms of uh, three free throws by Trey Young and then a three by John Collins. 
and that got back to four. That was closest they got. Um, Hunter got four fouls in less than six minutes to begin the second half after zero fouls in the first half. Some bizarre foul stuff there. You know, Hunter was not good in this game. We'll come back to him later on. But um, Trey Young got to the line double digits for the second time all season long, and he got there with five minutes left in the third quarter, but then didn't get to the line again the rest of the night. So still, still had 10. That's more than enough, but uh, kind of a weird stretch there. And then on his own foul situation, I don't want to overstate it, but you know, just for some context, Young got two fouls in six seconds. Uh, that was his third and his fourth of the game in the third quarter. And Nate McMillan immediately took him out with about six minutes to go in the third. Um, that's what I describe as an auto bench, where it's just like what coaches do. They take guys out with quote-unquote foul trouble without context. But uh, here's some context for you that has to be put out there. Um, for one thing, Trey finished the game with four fouls. Um, but even beyond that, uh, when I, and I said this in the moment, so it's not revisionist. I was tweeting it in real time. But Trey Young averages 1.7 fouls per game in his career. He is the definition of a low of a low foul player. He's been averaging 1.3 fouls per game this season. So to treat him the same way you would treat a big or someone that commits a lot of fouls is just not correct. And uh, obviously in this game, it kind of hurt them even more. But I just generally hate that auto bench. Like Trey ended up sitting for seven plus minutes and predictably the Hawks lost ground in that stretch. And yes, he had to set at some point. So it wasn't like he wasn't going to sit at any point in the second half, but um, you don't want him sitting seven minutes straight in the second half of the game. And, you know, it's predictable that he wouldn't have any more foul trouble from there. And, you know, you could just tell him, look, Trey, don't, don't foul <laughs> and play him and play him. If there was one guy in the entire roster, not only that, not only because he's the best player on the team, which definitely matters too, but if there was one guy on the entire roster that I that I would think maybe would be able to play with four fouls with three with, in the third quarter, other than maybe Lou Williams, it would be Trey because he doesn't foul. He just doesn't. So uh, that bothered me. It's always bothered me the auto bench stuff that's happened. I talk about with Collins all the time, even, but at least Collins has had more fouls in his career. Trey is a low foul player, and I hated that. And then as soon as he came out of the game, it was kind of just driving the point home. And again, it won't always be this way, but the Hawks didn't score for three minutes when he when he when he when he sat. And when he, when he came back in, they were down uh, a lot more. But they were down by double digits almost immediately. It was a 13-2 overall run by Denver to go back up, back up by 13. And uh, that was kind of the end of that in a lot of ways. There was a nice dunk by John Collins at, at the buzzer of the third quarter, but the Hawks were still down by 10. And the third quarter was just not kind overall. They shot 7 of 23 from the floor. It was awful once Trey sat. Um, Denver found its offense again, and they just got hammered in the uh, latter point of that third quarter. Um, I may notice it's kind of a weird stat and more of like a NBA-centric stat than a Hawks stat, but um, Denver's starting guards and backup guards, so they're four players. Um, just for context, those those players were in this game. Monty Morris, Will Barton, Bones Highland, um, and Austin Rivers. Those four guys at the end of the third quarter were 6 of 28 from the floor and 0 of 11 from three. So that's like... 22% from the floor and 0% from three, they're four guards that have played through three quarters and they were up by 10. And that's just kind of impossible, but it happened in this game. Part of that's Jokic, part of that's, you know, Gordon had a good game, etc. But you don't have to see that. That was definitely something that struck me as bizarre. Um, in the fourth, they tried the same thing that they tried in the second quarter with Collins plus the bench. It didn't work out as well, but it wasn't like terrible. They, they kind of held their own at that point. There was one stretch where the Nuggets scored five straight points to go up by 15, um, but Trey was still sitting, uh, obviously, you know, sat for way too long. The Hawks, though, got it back down to like nine and 10 and 11 multiple times in that run. And then there was a huge stretch by Bones Highland. One of the things that I would circle in the second half was that Bones Highland, a rookie guard, um, scored eight points in about a minute, including back-to-back threes, and that put the Hawks down by 15 with seven minutes to go. 
uh, during that timeout after that stretch by Highland, the Hawks announced that DeAndre Hunter was out for the rest of the game with right wrist soreness. He was listed as questionable and missed Tuesday's game as well with a right wrist strain. So nothing really beyond that. Nate said he got, uh, I guess, got sort of hit on that wrist at some point in the second half and was obviously in pain and had to come out of the game, but no further update beyond that. Elsewhere, though, Trey did score when he came back in finally to uh, get the game back in like an 11-point range, but there were some missed opportunities. If there was one time when the Hawks could get back in the game, it was probably the stretch where the Nuggets didn't score for about three minutes in the fourth quarter, but the Hawks only scored four points on their own, and that wasn't going to be enough to make their big run. Um, there was a big shot by Aaron Gordon that I made note of where the Hawks were down by 11 with four minutes to go, and Gordon hit like a shot clock beating you know, tough three, sort of a backbreaker, a shot that you actually want him taking if you're the Hawks, but he made it, and that put the Hawks back down by 14, and that was kind of it. Um, the Hawks did get it down to nine in the final minute, but that was basically, I can go through the, the entire play-by-play, but essentially the Hawks got down to a ten, you know, 10 or 11 a couple times. It was double digits, though, for about seven straight minutes, and then uh, they got an uncontested layup in the final minute to get it down to, by nine. That was the final score to lose by nine points. So on one hand, you could say they probably deserve to lose by more than nine. On, on the other, you could say that maybe they uh, were better than they were, but uh, alas. Um, Takeaway-wise, in this contest, uh, offensively, they had a 103 offensive rating. Uh, that's not going to win you many games, particularly on the road. Is it disastrous? No. But Denver and you know, Denver had come in with a number two, def- number two defense in the league. They're not that good on defense, um, but they are better without Porter um, and Murray. So that's worth noting. This is not a bad defensive team by any means they were playing against. But the Hawks did have some bright spots. Only eight turnovers. And as I mentioned before, only two turnovers in the last three quarters. That's very encouraging. Um, and they did, they did do a pretty good job on the offensive class. But shooting-wise, you know, it was a mixed bag. They had 64 points in the paint. That's actually a ton. But they were 10 of 31 from floater range. So those those twos that are not quite at the rim and not quite like jump shots, they were terrible in that range. And they were 5 of 28 from three. Um, that's not enough attempts, and obviously it's bad accuracy, 18% from three. Um, this is a little bit of cherry-picking, but the trio of Young, Collins, and Capella were 27 of 50, of 50 from the floor. So that's 54% from the, from the floor in this game. The rest of the Hawks roster, everybody else that played, was a combined 11 of 43. That's about 26%. And the bench was 4 of 14 on twos and 1 of 10 on threes. So basically, and honestly, I'm being generous in including Capella because Capella really had a good first three minutes offensively and was not a huge factor before that. I could be even more um, stark with just basically saying that Collins and Young were good on offense and nobody else was in this game. Um, I will say that the Hawks did clean up a lot of stuff after halftime. I will attribute that part of that to Glenn Willis who pointed this out. But the Hawks had one turnover after the half, but they just did not make shots. Um, you know, there is some of that. Nate talked about, you know, missing shots, and I agree with him. I'm the first to say, you know, you watch a game back and you can see the shot quality. I don't think the Hawks' process was bad in the second half. Um, they just shot 2 of 17 from 3. I mean, yes, that's uh, – <laughs> what are you going to do? You're, they, miss, they, miss some good sh- they miss some good shots. The wings are just kind of killing them right now. We'll come back to that in a second. But um, that is worth pointing out. Um, defensively, they allowed a 112 defensive rating or sorry, offensive rating to the Nuggets. That is not catastrophic, but it's definitely some bad moments for the Hawks. I will say this. It would have been a lot worse if not for the Nuggets, I would say, shooting themselves in the foot in the second quarter. You know, watching the game back, I think defensively it was not very good for the Hawks in this game, and they're still like a bottom three or four defense in the league right now. It's been uh, certainly problematic for Atlanta. Neither team was good in half-court offense, so the Hawks did a good job um, when they were actually set up to guard the Nuggets in this game. But in transition, they got absolutely brutalized. Um, which isn't a huge surprise. The Nuggets are very good in transition, 
but you throw that all together and that's the anatomy of what became a nine-point loss. So, you know, there were opportunities in this game. I will stress that. The Hawks did have some chances. They had some bright spots. We'll get into Young and Collins and we'll get into their shot quality in terms of their three-point attempts that were decent. You just got to take more of them at points in the paint and turnovers um, were not a problem in this game outside of the first quarter, but they're going to have to combine it all and they just haven't been able to do that right now um, as a general rule. So, We'll leave it there for now, and we'll get into some player takeaways and some look-ahead stuff to the rest of the schedule, which just let up mercifully after this contest. Before we get into any of that, a word from our sponsors on the show today, and the first of which is Bilt Bar. I love Thanksgiving, all the good food and treats and plenty of them, but maybe you want a yummy dessert that isn't so full of calories and sugar. And with that said, it's the perfect time for Bilt Bar. Bilt Bar is the new holiday dessert. This is something that's totally delicious. I feel good about it. One slice of pie has upwards of 300 calories. That might even be on the low end. But most built Bars have only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with plenty of protein. Replace the coconut cream pie with coconut built Bar. Go for a raspberry built Bar instead of that raspberry pie. Lots of good flavors to replace any pie. And they're low-calorie, low-carb, low-fat, high-protein, and covered in 100% chocolate. Built Bar is a great option for when you're hungry. If Thanksgiving isn't coming soon enough, go for a built Bar or two. Share some at your family gatherings. It'll make even things less awkward. Maybe Aunt Betty hasn't tried a built Bar yet. We'll have new surprises all month. Limited time flavors arriving at built.com regularly, so check out the site often. There's nothing like a built Bar Black Friday. Mark your calendar. Black Friday will be a huge event with all sorts of surprises. And for now, you can go to built.com. Use the promo code LOCK15, 15% off in your next order with built Bar. Use promo code LOCK15, 50% off at built.com. All right, we'll wrap it up here with a look at the players in this contest. And uh, yeah, it was not great. Kind of a theme of the season, to be honest with you, with two guys playing well, and it's the the best two players on the team, and then everybody else, for the most part, struggling to varying degrees. So, as a 10-man rotation in this game, the guys who did not play were Solomon Hill, Lou Williams, and and TLC. No surprises there other than, you know, the Williams right back and forth from this season. Gorky Jane played only one stint. It was two minutes. He had two points. It was a dead even and plus minus two rebounds. I thought he's been fine. Um, you could argue maybe that he should be playing a little bit more right now. I think he's a solid player. Um, at the same time, offensively, he doesn't really give you a ton at the moment. So uh, I don't have a problem with it. I do like that the Hawks are using Collins as a backup center, but that's worth pointing out. And then the other three guys who played less minutes... Uh, we'll get into now. And, you know, DeLon Wright, I thought, was okay. Uh, he didn't look to score a whole lot. He was over 2 from the floor. Did have three assists, three rebounds, played solid defense, um, did his job. It was a very, had a block shot, just kind of did, did DeLon Wright stuff. I do want him to be more, more aggressive offensively in general, but I think that he was uh, not a huge problem, nor was he a huge strength in this game. Um, Cam Reddish struggled again, I would say, offensively. Did have eight points to lead the bench, but uh, four rebounds, did have a block shot, two turnovers, and no assists. Once again, uh, he still has double or more turnovers for assists for, for the season. He was 2 7 from the floor, did get to the line three times, made all three, was 1 of 3 from three, and that was that nice catch and shoot. So, you know, Cam has been struggling now for a couple of weeks, I would say, after a uh, start in which he made a bunch of shots. Uh, he's not playing well at the moment. I will just leave it there for now, but he has the uh, worst plus minus on the team. You know, in this game, actually, because that, of that huge run in the first half by the bench plus Collins, the bench numbers, even in a loss in the plus minus categories, do not look bad. Um, the second half, it sort of manifested a little bit more, but at, at that point in time, it was uh, they were already down by you know 10 or so. But I think Reddish struggled. Um, Gallinari definitely did as well. Two points, five rebounds, one assist, um, one of seven from the floor for Gallo in 17 minutes. He just doesn't have it right now. Um, I think there were some signs from Gallinari in this game that maybe he was a little more comfortable, but the shots are not going in. And as I say a lot, um, guys like Gallo and Lou Williams in particular, the shots have to fall or there's just not a whole lot to uh, have in terms of value 
on those guys. And then Kevin Herter struggled as well. He's had a couple of nice games recently. I think he's been, um, you know, better than some of the some of the counterparts recently. But on this night, he was 0-5 from three and one of six overall from the floor. Did have three assists, five rebounds, and was plus four, but not his best night either in 30 minutes. Uh, you know, he was not quite as, I don't think it was quite as damaging as guys like Gallinari and Reddish and even Hunter were in this game, but still not his best by any means. And the wings have been a problem, as we'll get into even more in a second. Um, Hunter, which I sort of alluded to, did have the wrist thing, so you don't want to pile on too much. But I thought he was uh, pretty terrible in this game while playing. You know, you don't we don't, you don't know how much the wrist was bothering him, but uh, two points in 21 minutes, one of six from the floor, zero of two from three, a couple of really bad shot selection moments, some bad defensive moments from Hunter in this game. Two rebounds, no assists, um, had the four fouls in short order in the third quarter. Just a very bad night. For Hunter, and again, the wrist thing might be the reason, or maybe one of the reasons why. But it was not just tonight; he's been playing poorly for a while now, and certainly a concern given uh, all that he showed on the positive side last year. But ever since the injury, basically since that 15-game, 20-game period early in the season last year, when he came back from the injury, he wasn't very good, and then this year he's not been very good. So we'll see what happens. But uh, he's struggling at the moment, and we'll see about the wrist. Uh, Bogdanovich was not his best either. He was five of eight on twos, but 0 of five on threes. Ten points, three assists. Um, defensively, I think he has been struggling pretty mi- pretty mightily this season in terms of staying in front of guys in particular on the perimeter. But, you know, was he as bad as Hunter? No. Um, was he good? No. So this is where I will, because I've talked about all four wings now, I'll just stop here and say this. Um, two things. I tweeted this during the game um, and singled, you know, three of these guys I think are even a step above the other two. But in general, the Hawks are going to have a hard time winning consistently or at any high level when their four wings are playing as poorly as they are at the moment. Um, All four of them are, for the season anyway, have been well below what you would expect or project or at least need from this Hawks team. Um, Second half of last year, Bogdanovich was out of his mind. You can't really expect that, but he's a much better player than he's been so far this season, at least he has been in the past. Kevin Herter has had some nice moments. He had the uh, 28-point night earlier this week, so it's not like he's been just terrible the entire way, but um, he had the rough start and has had a couple of of stinkers along the way. I think he's probably been the best of the four, but that's not exactly a a high bar to clear. Um, Hunter, as I just said, has really had that one good stretch of early last season and has kind of struggled since then. And I think Reddish, you know, the plus-minus stuff for Reddish has been worse on the team. I think uh, he's not playing well in general, the lack of passing, um, etc. So those four guys are killing them. And then you throw in Gallinari with that because Gallinari, uh, while not, he's not a wing, um, is making $20 million, of course, and is a huge part of, uh, of the roster construction and the plan. And having those five guys basically give you nothing is impossible to overcome. Um, I do think that you, know, you can bank, if you want to be positive, on those five guys not all being terrible all season long. That is definitely, I think, safe to project. But if you want to look for an explanation as to why the Hawks have not been good so far this year, um, I would point to those five guys. Um, it's not just those five guys. Obviously, Capella, which we'll talk about in a second, has not been himself either. But um, at least, you know, it's, in terms of the theory, I think we talked about Capella a ton on the show the last couple of weeks and with good reason. But those, those five guys, the four wings and Gallinari, are really, really, really hurting them right now. Um, we'll go to Capella now. Capella had 14.13 rebounds in this game. Um, as I said before, he had eight points in the first, like, three minutes and didn't do much after that. I think defensively, it's a hard matchup. You know, Jokic is a monster, so what are you going to do? He had a triple-double in this game despite not having his jump shot. Um, you know, nobody's going to be able to stop him. With that said, uh, I talked about this with Jared Dubin endlessly the other day when I visited with him. Uh, I talked about Tower Jones earlier this week on this podcast. They need Capella to be good, and they rely on him so heavily, and uh, he was not that good in this game. Um, was he terrible? No. But was he dominant? No. 
And uh, was he their third best player in this game? Probably, but that's more like by default because nobody else was good across the board. And then we'll end on the high notes, you know, combined 56 points from Trey Young and John Collins. Um, Trey had 30 points, nine assists, five rebounds in 32 minutes. I mentioned the auto bench thing, that definitely drove me crazy. The only uh, negative for Trey in this game was his turnovers. He had, I think he had four live ball turnovers that ended up in like pick six form. But besides that, he was very good on offense, as he often usually is. Um, defensively was feisty at times, too. I don't think he was terrible defensively by his standards. So a good night for Trey overall. And then Collins was awesome. After the first quarter, which he had kind of a weird slow start for him, he was easily their best player in the last three quarters of this game. Uh, 26 points, 9 rebounds, 11-22 from the floor. Didn't have his jumper. He's 1 of 6 and actually missed two free throws. But he was uh, 10 of 16 on twos, was attacking, had two block shots. Collins is a big goal year. And basically, the way that I would say it, I sort of alluded to this a few times on the show, but as the final point on tonight's game, uh, essentially there are two guys on this roster that are in prominent roles that have played up to their level this season, and it's Trey Young and it's John Collins. And it helps that those two guys are your best players and they're playing up to their level, but uh, they need to have some help along the way here. They cannot get by with just those two guys playing well. Everybody else has to step up, and that's the end of that. Okay, um, before we get out of here and uh, get into the weekend, um, the Hawks do return home after this, mercifully, after the 0-4 road trip and six losses in a row, but they have a test on Sunday. First of all, it's a, it's a 6 o'clock game, a bit of a weird start time for the Hawks. They host the Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning champions, who of course beat the Hawks in the playoffs last season. It's the first home game in 10 days for Atlanta, so that'll be interesting to see how they respond to that. Um, it is worth pointing out that Milwaukee has extensive injury issues right now. They're actually 6-7 and seven on the season. Um, which is a little bit misleading, I think, just because of the fact that they have not been healthy at all. But Milwaukee, um, you know, they're not exactly loaded with uh, health right now. Like, for instance, they played tonight as well. They played without Chris Middleton, without Brooke Lopez, Dante DiVincenzo, and then Giannis was also a late scratch. Drew Holiday's missed some time as well. So I don't think you can bank on 6-7 and seven being like a real record for them. But it does matter as to who plays on Sunday. We don't know that right now, obviously, on Friday night. But... That could be a, uh, a nice measuring stick game, of course. Um, it's back at home, so the Hawks at least will have that going for them since they're 1-8 on the road right now. But nothing is easy for the Hawks as they return. You know, Milwaukee, even at short, even for shorthanded, as long as Giannis is playing, Milwaukee is uh, definitely a dangerous foe, and they have to win that one to avoid going to 4-10 and 10 on the season. After that, the schedule does let up finally for Atlanta with home games against Orlando, Boston, Charlotte, and Oklahoma City. But uh, a nice... Interesting test on Sunday. Then they actually have a back-to-back on Monday against the Magic. So overall, just an absolutely brutal uh, performance from the Hawks in terms of the last nine games, really, but especially the last six when they've lost six in a row this road trip. While it was difficult, and I spent some time earlier this week talking about some context needed and just, you know, you're losing to really good teams is not the end of the world, but you could also say beyond that that they have not played well. So it's... Uh, all context need. I'm definitely a big fan of nuance, and there's a lot of nuance here, but the Hawks are still 4-9, and nine. and um, given that they've been relatively healthy, to be 4-9 and nine is a massive disappointment, even with a tough schedule to this point. All right, uh, the sky's not falling, everybody. There's still time. It's 13 games out of 82. They have a lot of basketball to play. 
But uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I would say please stay tuned and we'll cover it night to night as well as big picture in the middle of that. And uh, we have fun talking about basketball in this space. Even when the Hawks are not playing well, I will be here. As you have noticed, probably if you're a new listener, I record rain or shine, uh, positive or negative performance. I'm going to be here. So please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. Enjoy your weekend and you will hear from me, boring an emergency of any kind. The next podcast will be Sunday night after the Hawks-Bucks game. And we'll see you next time.